Uh, so you all, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a great uh, Easter celebration, celebrating the fact that the renewal that God has intended from the very beginning of the world now has started through the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we begin to see now in the life of the early church is how God's transformation is at work in, in events, and especially in people, changing people one person at a time. And so uh, two weeks from today, we're going to be talking about how uh, the Apostle Peter is, is a part of a transformation and a transformation that impacts the church. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about a woman named Tabitha and how the resurrection impacted her life. And today, we're going to talk about uh, the change that comes over the Apostle Paul. Now, I thought it might just be fun maybe to start off by seeing our, our collective knowledge when it comes to the Apostle Paul. So I'm going to give you a test. All right, you ready for it? It's true, false. And so I'm just going to encourage you to just be yourself. Just say whichever you think. If it's wrong, nobody's going to laugh at you, at least not much. <laughs> you know, nobody will laugh. Look, I had, to, I had to go back and study some of these things just to, to get them. So true or false? The Apostle Paul is one of the 12 original apostles. True or false? False. Oh. Oh, okay, that's right. He was one of the later apostles. And in the event that happened that, that uh, Susie just read about, he actually persecuted some of those early followers of Jesus. All right. The Apostle Paul is responsible for writing about half of the New Testament. True or false? It is true. He wrote, uh, some scholars say as many as 13 books in the, the New Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament, so almost half. They are letters or epistles. Now, I heard this thing about this Sunday school teacher who was trying to teach her little kids what an epistle is. She said, who knows what an epistle is? And one little boy said, well, that's the wife of an apostle. <laughs> okay, so we're smarter than that, right? <laughs> Okay, true or false? Uh, the Apostle Paul was a citizen of Italy, and he traveled to France, and he was the first Christian to proclaim good news in the English language. True or false? False. Absolutely false. It's all false. <laughs> he was a citizen of the Roman Empire, yes, of Rome. He was a Greek-speaking Jew as opposed to a Hebrew-speaking Jew who became a Christian and as far as he tried, he wanted to travel to France. As far as I know, he never, you know, had anything to do with English. How about this one? Um, Paul was shipwrecked, and he got bitten by a snake. And the islanders thought that meant that he was a bad man, that he was a criminal, and so they stood around watching to see if he was going to die. True or false? It is true. It, it is true. You can read about it in Acts chapter 28. It's a great event. How about this? True or false? Um, the Apostle Paul established churches all over the Mediterranean region, region, but he never, ever established a church in Athens, Greece. What do you think? That is true. It's, a, it's absolutely true. I guess the Athenians were too busy eating olives, drinking wine, and posing for nude statues. <laughs> All right, true or false, last one. The Apostle Paul became a martyr by uh, being crucified upside down. Anybody know? 
We actually don't know. We, we actually don't know. We think he was beheaded. That's what scholars think. Uh, it was the Apostle Peter who supposedly was, was crucified upside down. Okay, I proclaim you all really good biblical scholars. Blessings on you today. You, you've done very, very well. Well, here's, here's what I want you to know about the Apostle Paul. Is he had this passion to do great things for God. And Paul had the background, and he had the drive uh, to, to, uh, to order in some ways to accomplish that. Phil read about it uh, in the passage that he read, where he sort of lists all this bragging material about his life. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I mean, that just means he has a good pedigree. Uh, he, he says that, um, you know, uh, let's see, what was that other thing he said? Uh, yeah, oh, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. That was one of the elite tribes. Uh, then it says that uh, in uh, regards to the law that he was a Pharisee. So he was one of those that took the Ten Commandments and wanted to apply them to every area of life. And, and, and that's how they created like the 519 uh, or the 619 religious rules that everybody tried to follow. Um, it says that uh, as for zeal, he persecuted Christians. We know about that. And then as for legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I, I kept all of those 619 religious rules. Can you imagine that? So he kind of, he's kind of bragging a little bit, but, but he had good reason for that. He came from a good family, came from the right side of town. You know, he'd studied under the right people. He was a hard-driving guy. He was the kind of person that showed up at 4 a.m. for work, and he stayed until after everybody else had gone home because Paul wanted to do great things for God. Now, he'd studied under a scholar named Gamaliel. Gamaliel had distinguished himself by his teaching and by his wisdom. Paul wanted to be like him, but what Paul wanted to do was to distinguish himself, and the way he decided to distinguish himself was by persecuting Christians, by coming after Christians. He thought, how in the world could anybody believe this crazy stuff about Jesus? He thought Jesus had, you know, just done some magic tricks. He, he, he was convinced that, that there was false prophecy about the temple. And he knew, he knew Jesus had been crucified on the cross. What kind of Messiah is that? He's, he was thinking, you know, who could believe anything like that? He thought this was a terrible heresy. And he was determined to stamp it out. So he was a one-person crusade against Jesus and Jesus' people. He was there when Stephen, the first Christian, was martyred, and he said amen to that. He was right there when they were dragging Christians out of, the, you know, out of their homes and throwing them in jail, and he was saying amen to that. And then when the, the Christians tried to escape by going to these other cities, he was one of the first that went to the high priest and said, let me go. Let me go find them. I'll bring them out, and then you can execute them here. He was doing, in his mind, great things for God. Of course, you know how that is, don't you? Sometimes when we're doing great things for God, what we're really doing is great things for ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Particularly religious stuff. It's like sometimes we come to church in order to be seen. Sometimes we give our money in order to get a pat on the back. Sometimes, you know, we help others just to feel good about ourselves. Our, our motives just get so mixed. And I don't know. I don't know if that's what really was going on 
with the Apostle Paul, but what I do know is that his reputation was growing and growing and growing because he was persecuting the followers of Jesus. He was doing great things for God. But all that changed on the Damascus Road, didn't it? All that changed. Going down this road, 150 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. All of a sudden, there's a light from heaven. He hears a voice. He falls on the ground. The voice says, Saul, Saul. Now, Saul was the Hebrew version of the word Paul, the name Paul. Saul, why do you persecute me? Who, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you persecuted. Paul opens his eyes and he is blind. You ever had a time when you just realized you were going all wrong? When you, when you were, all, everything you've been thinking was just wrong thinking? Or you've been traveling in your life in one direction and all of a sudden you find out it's actually another direction? I heard this silly story about this senior citizen who was driving the freeway one day and got a frantic call from his wife. His wife said, Herman, she said, I've just seen on TV that there's a car driving on the interstate in the wrong direction. Be careful. He said, honey, I know it's not just one car. There are hundreds of them. <laughs> what a shock, Right? Must have been a huge shock for the Apostle Paul to have this experience on the Damascus Road, to realize that this man whom he had assumed was no Messiah at all was in fact alive. To assume these people whom he was considering to be heretics were in fact following one who was the Lord. He must have had terror to think about what he had been doing. He's blind now, so they, they grab him by the hand, they take him into Damascus. Three days and three, three nights he's in darkness. The scripture says during that time he doesn't eat or drink anything. Why? Because he is in such repentance. He is in such grief. He is overwhelmed by what he's done. What have I done? How many times you know, have I, have I persecuted those who were Jesus' followers? How many, how many times have I approved of, of the death of those who were his followers? How many times have I actually persecuted one who was the Son of God? I, I mean, I, I just can't even imagine. Now listen, at this point, this is a very different Paul, isn't it? It's not a proud Paul. It's not a boastful Paul. It's not a Paul who's patting himself on the back and bragging about all his great achievements. Who is this? It's a humble Paul. It's a broken Paul. It's a Paul who's open in a new way for the presence of the Lord. Now, you know, this story is clearly a story about how the resurrected Jesus can take enemies and make them into friends. That's one of the things this story is about. But the more I've thought about this story over the years, I think this story is really kind of a, a model 
about how the resurrected Jesus works with you and me in the lives that we live. Because in a way, aren't, aren't we really kind of like Paul sometimes? We get kind of prideful. We get focused on ourselves. We want what we want in this world, and we're going to go after it for ourselves. And my goodness, we'll get ourselves into some messes, and events will turn against us, and we'll find ourselves just like Paul, humble and lying on the ground. And yet there is a Lord who loves us enough to speak into our lives to forgive us, to remind us of other people, and to point us in new directions. And that's exactly what happens to Paul. Ananias comes to him, and the first thing Ananias does is say, Brother Paul, and in those words, he knows immediately that the Lord has forgiven him. Paul learns he has a new mission. Not a mission to persecute Christians, but now a mission to actually support Christians and to proclaim himself the, the very message he's trying to destroy. But I think most importantly of all, Paul discovers that, that his life is not really about making a name for himself. But his life is really about making a name for God. What did the Lord say to Ananias? He will learn how much he has to suffer for the sake of my name. My name. And really, think about it. Paul, for the first time in his life now, in this humbled state, for the first time in his life, is useful to God. All the, all the times when, when Paul had been so puffed up on himself, so assured of his own direction and his own way, he had actually been opposing God. He didn't even realize it. He had been opposing God. And yet now, he was at a point where God could finally use him. So this is a story, I think, certainly about turning an enemy into a friend. But listen... It is also a story for you and me. Because aren't we like that? Don't we sometimes, you know, live out our, our own self-centeredness in church, in our families, in our work, in our community, trying to get our own way at all costs, running over people? We get ourselves into all kinds of messes and we find ourselves humble, that's when the Lord comes to us. And the Lord, in His graciousness, in His graciousness, forgives us and, and points us in new directions and gives us the opportunity to live in new ways for Him. So I, I am like the poster child, you all, for the God's humility experiment. I, I just seem to spend my life down on the ground asking forgiveness and needing God's help. And this has been with me for a really long time. It's a pattern in my, in my life. It goes back to early days. And, and, and I remember back when I was a student pastor in a church in Miami. You all know a little bit about this church because um, I was there as an intern for a whole year. And I had a whole year of humbling. But uh, you know about this church because this is that church that I told you about that had the split chancel and had a really high pulpit. And so I was, you know, up in that pulpit way, way. I mean, it's, it's like several steps going up. 
And, uh, you know, trying to preach as a student, trying to figure this out and reading my manuscript word for word. And um, I, I made this grand motion because, you know, I can't stand still. I, I'm moving around. So I sweep my arm right across the pulpit like that and the fold of my uh, robe caught the manuscript and, and all the pages of the manuscript just came right off the pulpit and floated all the way down. 300 feet is what I like to say, all the way down. And I had to go down and pick it up in order to know what to say. Humbling moment. So was the moment that we had new folks come to the church the first Sunday. I introduced myself, met them. Told me, they told me their names. Liked what we did. They came back the next Sunday. Couldn't quite remember, so I asked them to tell me their names again. Uh, they came back a third Sunday. I couldn't remember their names. I asked them for their names again. Fourth Sunday, the guy comes in, and he comes right up to me, and he says, Tom, he says, if you don't know my name today, we're going elsewhere. Humbling moment. As was the moment when we had a lady in our church who had cancer and uh, was going to need daily cancer treatments. And uh, she was going to need the help of her church family because her husband had to, had to keep working and couldn't take time off to help. And so the pastor was on a, a sabbatical at this point, and I'm kind of, you know, trying to manage things. And I, I think, well, I am, I am all that. I can do this. I know what to do, you know. I'm... And I can organize it. And so, man, I did. I organized that baby. I had people come at 7 a.m. on the dot to pick her up, to take her to the hospital, and come pick her up at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I had people bring lunch in. I had people organized to bring supper in. I even had people organized to just drop by for a visit. You know, and I probably even told them what to say. I, I, I had over-organized this thing. And I'm telling I'm telling the staff about this because there, there, there's several members on the staff. And there is this old guy on the staff. He's an associate pastor. He was the ancient of days. I think he was like, you know, 45. <laughs> Something like that. He looked at me, young whippersnapper, and he said, Tom, he said, Mary is not a project to be administered. She is a person to be loved. Ooh. You know, but the graciousness of this year for me, by God's kindness, is it helped me be a little bit better pastor. And I'm still learning. But it helped me be a more effective follower of Jesus. So you have those times in your life. We're all, we're all on the road to Damascus. We're all like the Apostle Paul. We're all... Living out of ourselves, for ourselves, for our own way, for what we want. You know, we're all doing kind of our own thing, trying to get that glory. God's not going to let us get away with that, thankfully. The risen Lord Jesus will confront us and invite us to see the truth about Jesus and to see the truth about ourselves and how much we need God in our lives and how much we need God's help in our lives. And in the midst of all that, then he will point us in new directions and we will find ourselves experiencing joy unimaginable as we follow Jesus.
So here's my question for you. Right now, in your life, what sort of circumstances, what sort of events going on where you're, you're struggling a bit, where you're feeling some pain, where you're feeling a challenge, where you're feeling some difficulty? Let me ask the question. Could it be that God is inviting you to be humbled in the midst of that? There's a, a risen Lord who loves you so much. He wants you to be the best follower you can be. And humbling is a part of that. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.